All right. Thanks, Sam. That was great. I really, really appreciate the, uh, the pastoral prayer, the, the focus on uh, the flourishing of your community and, and organizations that are working for that. And I love that y'all are spotlighting foster care. And, and Krista, I don't know where you went, but I love, I love the tangible ways that you can serve and help. Just, it's awesome. It's, it's really encouraging to my heart to see a, a church community that is seeking to live the gospel um, in your community. So, um, let me, uh, I should probably introduce myself a little bit. <laughs> um, my name is Michael Worrell. Um, I am your brother in Christ. I'm husband to Emily, who's all the way in the back, back there. Um, father to Lila and Audrey, who I think are in children's, right? <laughs> um, they are three in one, um, and, and they are just adorable and lovely. Um, I'm the associate director of the Bonhoeffer House, uh, alongside Jesse and Holly, um, who I saw Holly in the lobby, and she was like, oh, are you preaching today? And I was like, are you sad about that? <laughs> but fortunately, she was just saying, I'm bummed to miss it, which was really encouraging. Um, so I'm the associate director of the Bonhoeffer House, and um, Emily and I are part of the church planting team uh, that you all are helping send to plant the Vine Church in Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, so if you want to come talk to me about the Bonhoeffer House or about the Vine Church, I would love, love, love to share more about those things, um, but now's not, not the time for me to do that. So, um, so that's a little bit about who I am. Um, I want to make, I want to make another plug, uh, to back up Krista. Uh, my wife and I attended Valley Bible through, through college and, and for a few years after college before moving to Floyd, um, to help with Sojourn Church. And the Good Friday service is just, uh, it's unlike any other church service that I've been to or been involved in. If you've, if you've never been to it, it's really moving um, in, in a way that captures your imagination and helps you to actually kind of feel and experience what that day would have been like. Um, and, and I think in a real way connects you to the person of Jesus um, with intimacy. And so uh, if you've never been, I just would highly encourage you to go. All right, that's it. For, for plugs um, and endorsements. If you've got your Bible, grab it and uh, flip it to John chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 12 through 27 this morning. And while you're flipping there, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us one more time. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people who have come to to worship you, or maybe just to learn about you and discover who you are and what your, your people are like. And God, we ask for your Holy Spirit through this process. Uh, we, we can't really know you fully or worship you rightly without your Holy Spirit. So Spirit, come empower me as I, I preach 
make it so that my words are true to your word, are true to the word of the Father, are true to the living word, Jesus. Make it so that my tone, my posture, my heart uh, is in line with, with yours. As the psalmist says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So God, I ask for that and I invite you to do that work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Valley Bible Church has been preaching through the Gospel of John. If you are new here, or if you just need a refresher on what's the deal with the Gospel of John, John tells us at the end of the book in chapter 20 that he wrote this gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, is, is the Messiah King, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the whole gospel of John is this movement showing you who Jesus is, what he's done, and Im- imploring you, compelling you to believe upon Jesus, because by doing so you will have life. Our text this morning I think says much about who Jesus is and what Jesus' work is and says much about how life comes through him. So let's read it together. John 18, verses 12 through 27. So for, for a little bit of context, Jesus has just been arrested. Peter just pulled out his sword and, and cut Malchus's ear off. Lots of stuff's going down. Verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, 
Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, No, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. In in this story, we see two scenes of questioning, and, and it's almost cinematic the way that it switches between these two different scenes. Jesus with the high priest, Peter with the crowd around the fire, back and forth. And we see two very different responses to this questioning, right? We see from Jesus a sort of unshakable faith. He's not fearful. He's not overwhelmed. He seems very calm and collected in the way that he is receiving what's happening to him. Contrasted with the shaky faith of Peter, the unshakable faith of Jesus with the shaky faith of Peter. And before we write Peter off as a a failure or a screw-up, Imagine for a minute, it's, it's not easy being questioned, right? I don't know when the last time that you have had somebody kind of aggressively or, or in, in an interrogative way question you, but it's not easy. That's, in fact, why investigations include interrogation, because it gets you kind of off your game. It gets, it gets you a little confused and disoriented, when somebody is directly and intentionally questioning who you are, what you've done, your life, your actions, your decisions, your character. It's part of why peer pressure is so difficult to, to deal with. You get a group around you being like, what? what? Come on, man, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? Why aren't you doing this? It's, it's difficult to bear up under the weight of something like that. It's not easy to keep your composure. Or think about this week, the confirmation hearing for Kentaji Brown Jackson. Can you imagine being in her position if you followed this at all? Can you imagine being in that position? Your, your work questioned, your parenting questioned, your words questioned, being questioned about the most polarizing political and social issues of the day, it would be terrible. It would be terrible. I would be like, never mind, I don't want this job. (laughs) Like, how horrible to have all of your life put under the, 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 the light of the interrogation, the heat of the interrogation. Oh, it's not easy to be questioned. Maybe, maybe you've come this morning with, with no, no questions of your own, with, with nobody questioning you. Maybe you've got a rock-solid faith this morning. And if that's the case, praise God. That's amazing. That's not something to be taken lightly. That's not, that's not something to be written off. Praise God. But I think... I think many of us find ourselves wandering or wavering under 
hard questions. Maybe they are questions from without. Maybe you've got voices uh, from, from work or, or from friends or from neighbors questioning you. How can you believe in God when there's so much evil in the world? How can you believe in God when there's so much suffering? Why do you go to church? Don't, don't you see what the church is? Don't you see how hypocritical and judgmental the church is? What, why do you do that? Come on. You still believe in God? Didn't you go to college? Like, we're past that. Maybe you are receiving questions from within. I know many of us struggle with questions from within. Some of them related to our own struggles. Some of them related to the circumstances of the world. How, how long, O oh Lord, will, will war rage in Ukraine? How long, O oh Lord, will, will these United States be torn apart by, by racism and prejudice? How long will we be torn apart by, by division, socially and politically? Maybe how long, O oh Lord, will truth be ignored and denied? How long will justice be ignored and denied? Or maybe more personally, how long, O oh Lord, will I struggle with doubt and depression and anxiety? How long, O oh Lord, will sickness and suffering persist? How long will it take from us the ones that we love? How long? Maybe our how long turns into, has the gospel's power been bound? Has our hope been arrested? I know when my circumstances get bleak, it's, it's easy for my mind to go there. Isn't the kingdom of God supposed to be writing these things? Isn't it supposed to be breaking in? Why don't I feel that? Where are you, Lord? I think we see this morning that in, into the uncertainty and instability of our questions and of, of the questions that he is receiving comes the steadfast Savior. Comes the one with an unshakable faith where maybe yours is shaky. See, Jesus' circumstances are bad. They're bad. Think with me. They've, they've just been in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has been failed, failed by his disciples. He, he says to them, and, and I think it's in, in Matthew's account, he says to them, my soul is troubled. Stay awake with me and pray. And they go, okay, yeah, yeah, we got it. And then what happens? They fall asleep. So he comes a second time. My soul is troubled to the point of death. I feel like I'm going to die. Please stay awake and pray with me. And they can't do it. They fall asleep in the garden. They, they fail their friend, Jesus. And then immediately after, he's bound by his own people. The Jewish leaders and, and the servants of the high priest come and they bind him and arrest him. Then not only that, but, but his own people, the, the ones that he's committed himself to in covenant love, question him. 
the religious leaders, the, the one who he has committed himself to, say to him, are you sure you're the Messiah? Because it seems like you're just a dude who's making himself out to be something. They can't, they can't even see the ones, the ones who he has, has given his law to, given kings to, given prophets to, given this faith to, can't see who he is and question him. They go further than that. They slap him. The high priest slaps him. Is that how you talk to the high priest? And then on top of the, all of that, he, he soon will be denied by really his closest friend. One of the three, Peter. And Jesus knows it. He, he knows it. So stop, stop for a minute. Can you imagine carrying on despite all of that? Can you imagine keeping your cool? Like Jesus knows uh, in multiple times in the scriptures, it says, knowing all things, Jesus, you know, did whatever. Or knowing that all authority was his, Jesus went into this situation. So this is the person we're talking about. He knows who he is. He knows the authority he has. And this is the way he's being treated. And this is what his circumstances are. If that were you... What, what would you do? I, I'm, I'm the one with all authority. You're slapping me? I'm the one who owns the world. You're going to deny me. Like, I, I, I can't imagine what Jesus was going through. I can't imagine what would carry him through the, the pain and humiliation of being questioned by his own people and abandoned by one of his best friends. I, 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 it's difficult for me. What would carry you through this type of situation? Because Jesus remains faithful. Jesus remains faithful. Not only does he remain faithful to the, the plan of God for you and I, but he does it he does it while remaining faithful to the truth in his posture, his tone, his words, his thought. He does all of it without sinning. He doesn't get overly angry. He doesn't get overly critical. He doesn't put down or, or, or you know, put in their place the people who are doing this to him. Jesus is unwaveringly faithful to what's true and good and beautiful. He's unwaveringly faithful to the plan of God. In fact, as Brett pointed out last week, he, get, he gives himself over to this. He gives himself over to, to the arrest. He gives himself over to the, the binds. He submits himself to this plan. He even, in fact, foretells Peter's denial. It's not as if Jesus is caught unaware or off guard by what's happening to him. Facing arrest, questioning, denial, trial, humiliation, and ultimately crucifixion, Jesus goes willingly. 
Let me say that again. Facing arrest, questioning, trial, humiliation, and crucifixion, Jesus goes willingly for us. I think this means a couple things. I think this means he can handle your questions. Jesus can handle your questions. He can handle your laments. He can handle your frustrations. He can handle your fears. He can handle your pains. If this is the way that he bears up in the face of questioning, can't he handle yours? And second, I think this, this tells us that no circumstance has power over Jesus. None. We saw last week that, that even in the face of, of arrest, even in the face of a gang coming to overpower him and, and take him down, he, do, he doesn't need to be overpowered. He says, I am, and they fall over. And then he says, okay, let's go. And then in the face of trial, in the face of what he knows is coming, he goes willingly. He's in control. Which means he, he's, he's in power regardless of the circumstance you're facing. He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. And in fact, he, he's with you. Jesus doesn't lose heart in his circumstance or yours. He doesn't lose courage in his circumstance or yours. He isn't overcome by fear in his circumstance or yours. He isn't overcome by doubt in his circumstance or yours. Jesus might be bound, but his power is not. Jesus might be arrested, but his faith is not. Which means for us, his power is not arrested in your circumstance. Your hope is not bound because Jesus is in control. Though he is being questioned, and this is such good news, though he is being questioned, Jesus doesn't question. He doesn't question the plan. He doesn't question the worth of the plan. Like, are you sure? Are you sure, Father, that, that these people are worth this? He doesn't waver in his obedience. By contrast, oh, by contrast, Peter can't bear up under the questioning of his peers. And man, we're, we're Peter. <laughs> Peter can't bear up under the questioning of his peers. He's seen, that, think, think with me, this is the, the Peter who has seen Jesus heal a blind man. Seen Jesus heal crippled man, has seen Jesus multiply food for thousands of people, has seen Jesus resurrect his dead friend Lazarus, has heard Jesus preach the kingdom of God is near, and has confessed, Jesus, you have the words of life, where else would we go? Has confessed, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus tells him, the Spirit of God revealed this to you, Peter. Has confessed, I will die with you, Jesus, before I deny you. 
yet Peter can't remain faithful to Jesus. And we're not told why. We're not given the reason. And, and I honestly, I'm, I'm glad that we're not because it helps us to put ourselves in his shoes. There's countless reasons why he might have. Maybe he's afraid. I mean, this is the man that he's followed with his whole life has just been arrested. Maybe he thinks that he's seeing his hopes dashed. Peter's a good Jewish man. He's hoping for the, the kingdom of God to come. He's thinking that Jesus is the one who's going to usher it in with, with might and with force. And now he's arrested. Maybe he's, Peter's hopes are dashed. Maybe he believes that this questioning and arrest that's happening by the, the religious leaders of his people means that Jesus isn't the Messiah. Maybe he's doubting. Or maybe he's just trying to do what is socially advantageous. Maybe he's like, shoot, this is not good. I better figure out a way to cover my booty. Because if this goes down and I'm associated with this guy, things are going to be real bad for me. We don't know. We don't know why. We don't know what's going on in Peter's heart, but, but can't we put ourselves in some of those scenarios? Haven't, haven't we doubted? Haven't we been afraid? Haven't we been afraid of, of social consequences? Whatever the case, when Peter's asked if he's a disciple of Jesus, he says, I am not. I am not. Verse 17, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? I am not. Verse 25, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? I am not. By contrast, Jesus seeks out the crowd that arrests him. In verse 4 of chapter 18, whom do you seek, Jesus says, Jesus of Nazareth, I am. Verses 7 and 8, whom do you seek, Jesus of Nazareth, they say, I am. Where Peter says, I am not, Jesus says, I am. Where Peter is unable, Jesus is able. Not only do we see this strong contrast between Jesus and Peter and their responses, but we also see a great irony. See, Jesus has just told Annas, I've spoken openly. You want to know what I've said? Ask the people who have heard me. And here is the one who has heard him from the beginning given the opportunity to bear witness about Jesus. And he says, I don't know him. I don't know him. The one who has confessed, where else would we go? You of the words of life says, I don't know the man. Can you imagine the shame that must have washed over Peter when he heard the rooster. 
the moment he hears it, can you picture just the emotion wash over him? Oh, what have I done? There's no coming back from this. Like, that's, that's what I would be imagining. Have you experienced this kind of failure? Have you felt this kind of shame? Maybe, maybe you've lost a job or, or maybe you've lost a friend. Maybe you've had some bad parenting moments and, and they've been seen by other people. Maybe you've had relationships that have fallen apart. Maybe you've had your anger explode. Whatever the case, have, have you felt this sort of shame or failure? Have you felt like you've let Jesus down? Like you've disappointed him? Maybe... Maybe you've been stuck in a sin struggle. Or maybe you've been plagued by voices of condemnation. Or maybe you've been overcome with doubt and, and all the while you're feeling like, Jesus doesn't like me. Sure, he loves me because that's what the Bible says. But he doesn't want me. He tolerates me. I've, I've failed and disappointed him. You're in good company. Because the disciples couldn't stay awake with Jesus in the garden. The ones who had walked with him through his whole life. The Jewish people couldn't see that Jesus was the Messiah. The ones who he had given himself to. Peter can't stay faithful to Jesus in the courtyard. But Jesus remains faithful for them. Jesus remains faithful for you. See, it's Jesus' faithfulness that enables ours. It's Jesus' faithfulness that enables ours. At the transfiguration, Peter says to Jesus, let me make you a place. Let me make you a tent. But Jesus must first make a place for Peter. At the Last Supper, Peter says that he will be faithful to Jesus until the end. He will never deny him. But Jesus must first remain faithful for Peter. At the Last Supper, Jesus, or Peter says, I will die with you, Jesus, but, but Jesus must first die for Peter. And in the garden, Peter says that he will watch and pray with Jesus, but Jesus must first watch over and pray for Peter. See, where Peter can't remain faithful, Jesus remains faithful for him, so that in all things, Jesus might be preeminent. That he might be first. He is the first 
to be faithful to us so that we might respond in faithfulness to him. He is the first to demonstrate his love for us so that we might respond in love to him. He is the first to lay down his life and sacrifice for us so that we might then respond in giving up our lives for him and for our neighbors. This is the way of the gospel. Jesus first. Jesus first, always. Jesus is Peter's rock before Peter is the rock. Jesus is Peter's home, Peter's sanctifier, Peter's protector, Peter's savior, and Peter's restorer. Is he yours? Is he yours? Or do you live as if it's all up to you? I've got to fix this. I've got to get things right. I've got to do enough for God. Do you allow Jesus to work for you first? Do you allow Jesus to be faithful for you first? Are you trusting Jesus to bring his work and his faithfulness and his love into the dark and dying places of your heart and your world? Because he must do it first. Jesus must be faithful for you before you can be faithful to him or for your neighbors. Jesus must demonstrate his love for you before you can love him or your neighbors. Jesus must work for you before you can work for him or your community. Have you experienced the life and work and love of Jesus? Have you experienced it? Do you know him? If you don't, please come talk to me. Come talk to one of the the elders here. Talk to who brought you. This is a freeing relationship. Jesus first, then me. It's, It's so freeing. Because it allows, it allows me to not be perfect, but to, but to fall upon the perfection of Jesus. Let me give us one, one practical way to test this. What do you do with your mistakes? What do you do with your sinful actions, your, your sinful thoughts, your sinful postures? What, what do you do with them? Do you confess them or cover them? I think this reveals to us what we're, what we're really leaning on or falling on. Confession says, I need Jesus to bring life and forgiveness to this dark and deadly thought or action or posture. I need Jesus' faithfulness, Jesus' love, Jesus' work to renew and restore me. Covering says, I need to cover this. I need nobody to know about this dark and deadly thought or action or posture. And while I'm covering it over here, I need to work over here to prove my love, prove my faithfulness, prove my value so that nobody ever comes looking for this. Which Which one do you do? 
Confession falls on the life and work of Jesus for you while covering tries to hold yourself up with your own work and righteousness. Confession leads to life and grace. Covering leads to rot and self-righteousness. Which do you do? And one more thing before we close. You might wonder as we read through our text, why in the world did John twice include this weird little detail about Peter standing and warming himself? Like, okay, yeah, it was cold. They built a fire. We get it. But the reason is that Peter actually has two scenes of questioning of his own. Where here we see, a, where we see two scenes of questioning between Flipping between Jesus and Peter, Peter has two scenes of questioning of his own. One here and one in John chapter 21. In John 18, Peter is questioned in front of a small crowd of his peers around a charcoal fire. Aren't you one of this man's disciples? I am not. Aren't you one of this man's disciples? I am not. Aren't you one of this man's disciples? I am not. Then in chapter 21, Peter is questioned in front of a small crowd of disciples around a charcoal fire. Simon, son of John, do you love me? I do. Feed my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? I do. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Peter, through knowing sorrow, like, this, this isn't lost on Peter. He gets it. Through knowing sorrow, Peter confesses his love for Jesus three times and is restored unto him. See, the faithfulness of Jesus to the Father's plan is a faithfulness to bring life into all places. It's a faithfulness to make all things new, all things new. Even the memory of a charcoal fire for Peter. Where once he would have thought back with shame and disgrace and failure, now he thinks back with joy. Every time he smells a charcoal fire burning, he thinks that's the place where my Lord and my love restored me. That's the place where my failure was done away with in the face of my Savior's faithfulness. What is your charcoal fire? What area of failure or fear or doubt or anxiety does Jesus want to enter into with his restoration and renewal? Friends, there's no thing too small 
for the expansive and abundant grace of God to enter into and transform. Like a charcoal fire. Jesus makes that new for this one guy? What does he want to make new in your own heart? What part of your life might he want to restore? Because remember, he is the Christ. He is the King, the Son of God. And by believing in his name, you may have life. This kind. This kind that transforms even the most shameful, dark, disappointing, fearful failures that we have. The ones we want nobody to know about the ones we want to just push so far back into our past that they disappear. Those are the ones he wants to transform. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he remained unwaveringly faithful through questioning, through doubt, through denial, through pain, through humiliation. He remained faithful so that he might transform our brokenness, our faithlessness, our lovelessness, our fear, our anxiety. He might transform it all and make it new. Lord, would you do that this morning in our hearts? Would you help us first to see that Jesus is preeminent, that he comes to us first with love, accomplished work, faithfulness, and then he invites us to respond and to walk with him in that love, in that work, in that faithfulness. Would you help us to give up our dark and, and, and deadly thoughts and actions and postures? Give them over to the transforming work of Jesus. And, and God, would you meet us with grace and with love? Lord, I pray over this church that, that as, as this community shares their failures, shares their sins, shares their pains and their griefs, shares their fears and their anxieties, that all of those things would be met with love, with grace, with a posture that says, I am for you. This might be bad, but I'm with you. God, would you do that gospel work as we lean upon Jesus, your son? We pray in his name. Amen.